Thank you so much for your love and faithful support over these many years, not only supporting Jews for Jesus, but me and Oded and Bimini. We're so grateful. And in the interim, since I was last with you, you've been even more gracious by allowing Phil and Carolyn, your pastors, to become chaplains for Jews for Jesus. Thank you so much for your generosity. Their ministry to me and to the staff of Jews for Jesus is sowing seed for God's work in the world, in Israel and all around the world, and you are part of that, so thank you. I have with me a friend that uh, is part of the ministry of Jews for Jesus. I'd like to introduce him to you. His name is Dan Sarah. Dan, would you stand up? Dan is the director of Jews for Jesus in Israel. So he is Oded and Bimini's boss. <laughs> and uh, so he, we are all gathering together this week in San Francisco for a extended time of meeting together. Uh, our Jews for Jesus senior leadership from all around the world as well as the board of directors of Jews for Jesus. And so there's some significant days ahead and we would ask you to pray especially and um, I know that there are some of you here that are actually looking forward to going on a missions trip to Israel and one of the leaders actually came up to me before the first service and said, guess what, we've got room for two more. So if you're interested in going to Israel, I think it's in November, uh, to do some ministry with Oded and Bimni, we really encourage you to check it out because it's, uh, it's still an opportunity there. You know, wherever we go, Jews for Jesus, we preach the gospel every day around the world in 14 countries, eight different languages, and we exist to make the Messiahship of Jesus an unavoidable issue to our Jewish people worldwide. Praise God for that. We're so excited. We want people to understand that proclamation evangelism is still the heartbeat of the church. You know, there's a lot of folks out there that are saying that, no, you know, it's all in, in mercy ministry right now, you know. The, 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 the time of preaching uh, out in public is, is, you know, handing out tracts, those kinds of things, that's all old hat. Don't you believe it? In fact, we're so excited to see what God is doing that we actually were able in this last year to make a documentary film about one aspect of our ministry in New York City. And uh, Stephen Baldwin, one of the Baldwin brothers who is a, a lover of Jesus and a lover of our ministry offered his services to narrate it. And so far this film has won uh, numerous awards including just last week it won the International Film Award for the best Christian film of the year. Praise the Lord. So we have this film and a number of other uh, aspects, ministry materials from Jews for Jesus on the table in the back. You'll want to uh, see Dan back there after the service but I brought a short clip okay, from this film to kind of get wet your whistle and get you excited about what God is doing in the ministry. So let's go ahead and take a look at that. Hitting the streets of the Big Apple, it's a Jews for Jesus tradition that began in 1974. 
We come to New York to make the Messiahship of Jesus an unavoidable issue to our Jewish people. While many New Yorkers are familiar with the ministry, the age-old question of who is Jesus remains controversial. Jesus is not to be worshipped. Jesus is, was Jesus. That's it. No such thing as Jesus for Jesus is something that was made up out of somebody's capacious cup. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Though the question is old, it remains relevant today. Me who? Who is he? That's the most important question anyone can ever ask in this life. Who is Jesus? What's your opinion? Who do you think Jesus was? Who do you think Jesus is? I can't really tell if there is a Jesus or not. Who do you think Jesus is? Messiah. Allah, Jehovah, God is one God, honey. Not only do they ask the question, who is he? They wear it. Part of Jews for Jesus' bold street ministry philosophy. We're fanatical in the sense that we believe strongly in what we believe. Do you believe in Jesus or who do you think he is? I think Jewish is more the culture than anything else. It's about being Jewish. It doesn't mean anything more than that. I don't believe in you, okay, go away. If you can reach a hardened New Yorker and get them to think about a message that's been around for 2,000 years, then you can reach anybody, anywhere. Have QR codes jumped the shark? I'm beginning to think so. Saw someone wearing this in the subway. One of our shirts has a scan barcode, and every now and then somebody will come up to you and say, hey, can I scan your shirt? And that's great because that code goes to a movie. Hi, I'm Rochelle. I'm Aaron. And you might be wondering what Jews for Jesus is. And they're able to know more about Jews for Jesus and know about the Messiah. Whether in English, Hebrew, or even as a QR code on a T-shirt, the age-old question of who is Jesus remains controversial. I don't believe in anything else. I believe Jesus Christ is my savior. Oh, are you born again? Oh, no, I'm not born again. I'm Baptist. This year's most popular handout is a hologram-like card with three Hasidic Jews. As the card is moved, the middle shirt changes to a Jews for Jesus logo, causing a double take and often a humorous reaction. Now, God has a sense of humor. The other interesting thing is because it's lenticular, people who get angry can't rip it. You know, they go, ah, they <laughs> can't rip it. In order to be more transparent in their faith, Jews for Jesus held a public lecture series. Each week at the New York headquarters, a young leader guided a forum on one of four related topics answering the question, who is he? The Prince of Peace, the Pierced One, Risen Messiah, and King of Glory. The Tuesday night lectures gives us an opportunity to challenge um, a person that we're talking to with a next step. Okay, you want some more information? You're invited to come. I want you to have the opportunity to hear, to listen, and to ask questions. Do you believe that Jesus is God? I'm still struggling. I have different Jewish friends, Orthodox Jews, so to be able to relate the scripture to them, it's always a blessing. Wherever Jesus is, I want to be. You know, I want to know what you know what's going on. We've been having some rabbis that show up. Uh, the last three weeks, and I think it's great. So it's an opportunity to get a little bit deeper about why we believe in Messiah. We have a Messiah who knows our suffering, 
by his piercing we can be healed. In addition to engaging people in a public lecture, the campaign actively used social media as part of an ongoing effort to stay relevant, and Twitter cultivated some interesting responses. Jews for Jesus, Jew bros are funny awesome. We were at Starbucks one time taking a break. So somebody was outside uh, and saw us inside, uh, took a picture of us and posted on Twitter. I didn't think that proselytizing was allowed at Starbucks. What are these Jews for Jesus people doing? We have a wonderful group of young people here, passionate about Christ, passionate about evangelism. I really like having conversations about who Jesus is and why he's so special. My soul cries out and says, I have to reach them and never should I give up. It's awakening the Jewish community. And if we don't do it, who's gonna do it? This is the future of Jewish missions. This is the future of Jews for Jesus. I'm so excited about what God is doing in our day, and I want you to be a part of it. When you came in in your bulletin, you received a card like this. I'm going to ask you to take it out, and uh, some of you will already get our Juice for Jesus newsletter. Go ahead and take that card out, fold it a few times, and then we'll rip it together on the count of three. All right, ready? One, two, three, four. Very good. All right. Now... <laughs> Hold on to this because I'm going to give you something to use this for. But this larger section of the card, if you'll fill this out with your name and address. And then as you leave uh, after the service, there's a basket in the middle doors that where Dan will be. And drop this off. We, we'd love to send you our Juice for Jesus newsletter, which will keep you informed about what God is doing all around the world in Israel and other places. If you get the newsletter, fill out the box anyway fill, and check the box. It says, I already received your newsletter. We want to send you an update about these campaigns and what God is doing. And you'll really be glad to get that. And um, the, the, the smaller section is a prayer reminder card. And uh, I want you to keep this, and for the next week especially, pray for something that's very current. I'm actually going to ask Dan to come up and tell you about something that God has done and is doing for which we need to pray in Israel right now. Great. And just this morning we found out that um, one Israeli, an Israeli girl who was born and raised in an Orthodox Jewish home in Israel, and she came to faith through our Hebrew uh, website in Israel. And then um, after a while, she told her parents um, about her faith. And as you can imagine, their reaction wasn't very supportive. And uh, ever since, she had to uh, leave her home. And now she's staying with, uh, with a couple of our missionaries who have helped to disciple her in the future, in, in the past, and are continuing to disciple her. So look into the future. But anyway, her family has become increasingly hostile um, to, to her and to her faith and to the gospel. So uh, we covet your prayers. Her name is Mor, M-O-R, and you can write her name on that small card that David mentioned. And uh, please pray for her because her parents have contacted the anti-missionary groups in Israel and they have um, threatened her and threatened um, our missionaries in Israel. So we covet your prayers for her and um, as well for her parents to come to faith and as well for our uh, missionaries uh, for protection as we disciple her. And, um, and help her in her new faith. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. You know, it's amazing. Here's this 19-year-old girl raised in very religious Orthodox Jewish family, 
and God just touches her heart. And now we need to stand with her and pray for her. And we know that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The, there have been the forces that have opposed the gospel, that have opposed the way since the beginning, since Jesus was walking the face of the earth. And so this isn't anything new for God, but we want to pray. In fact, let me lead us right now in prayer for more. God, we just praise you that you saved her. We, we, we thank you, Lord, that it seems so unbelievable that this Jewish girl could... Uh, be touched by your spirit in the midst of orthodoxy and yet you've done it and we praise you. And now, Lord, we pray that you'd protect that precious seed of the gospel that's brought fruit, that you'd surround her with your love, that you'd uphold her in the midst of this great time of opposition from her family and from her friends, from her community and from those who are uh, full-time engaged in opposing the work of the gospel in Israel. We pray, Lord, that many of those men would become like the Apostle Paul, that they would be struck down and, by the, and blinded by the light of the glory of God in the face of Messiah Jesus, and that they would, too, come to know you. We pray for a revival, but right now we pray especially for protection for more from their evil intent, and we pray for protection for the missionaries of Jews for Jesus that are housing her, caring for her, and discipling her. And we all claim your grace and your protection in Jesus name amen boy it, it is you know it is God is on the throne and uh, we see his hand at work in so many different ways and it all happens just because we're able to ask this age-old question who is he and I want to encourage you to consider that as a question that you can ask people too I remember the first time that I was doing street evangelism and Jews for Jesus. It was in New York City, and I was at the Roosevelt Street uh, train station in Queens. And I was just handing out my tracks, 18 years old, and uh, with my T-shirt on. And up the stairs comes this woman. She takes one look at me and screams at the top of her lungs like she'd seen a ghost or something, you know? And then she starts crying, and tears are just coursing down her cheeks. Needless to say, I was a bit shocked. And after she calmed down, she explained to me that she had been going through a terrible time in her life, and that one of her colleagues at work was a Christian, and he had given her a video about Jesus. And she had just watched it the night before, and it had touched her. But she knew that because she was Jewish, she couldn't believe this. And so she prayed to God and she said, God, if this stuff about Jesus is true, you're going to have to bring me in touch with another Jewish person who believes this way. <laughs> and there I was. <laughs> you know, and it, it was just, it, I just happened to be there in the right place at the right time with the right question, who is Jesus? And she had the answer already provided by the Spirit of God. And what a privilege it was for me to pray with her to receive the Lord and then to see, watch her grow as our missionaries there in New York discipled her. And this is what God does when we're faithful to raise this issue. And this question, who is Jesus, is not only one that we ask, but I want to, if you know him, encourage you to ask it of the people that he brings into your life as well. It's not our question. It's the question that Jesus himself brought to his disciples. And so if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open to Matthew chapter 16. And we see here in verses 13 through 17, Jesus actually introducing this very question. 
When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. So what an amazing encounter this was, and I think it's particularly significant where this took place, because the Bible tells us it was in Caesarea Philippi, and I believe that Jesus chose this place to introduce this question because of the nature of the place itself. Caesarea Philippi is a place that you can still visit in Israel today and it has been throughout time associated with various religious truth claims. And this is what it looks like. There's a cave and you can see carvings in the, in the rock and statues inside. There used to be a river there. And in ancient Canaanite times, this area was called Baal Hermon. Now, you've perhaps heard of the Baals. They were the gods of the Canaanite peoples. And Baal Hermon means the god of Hermon or the mountain, Mount Hermon, which is the tallest mountain peak in the land of Israel. And so the Canaanites believed that this cave and this area was particularly associated with the power of the god of the mountain. Well, when Alexander the Great and the Greek armies came and conquered, they renamed that place Banyas, which it's still called in tour books today. Banyas is a way of saying the ancient Greek god Panyas or Pan, Pan. Maybe you've seen or remembered seeing images of that little goat footed uh, flute playing god of the Greek pantheon. Well, the Greeks believed that this place was especially associated with the power of Pan. And in fact, the river that used to flow in that cave, they believed was connected to the mythical, mystical river Styx. And all of this, this area was considered sacred. And then, of course, the Romans conquered, which was the time in which Jesus was living, and they renamed it, what, Caesarea Philippi, Caesar, who himself claimed to be the Son of God and demanded worship of those who lived there at that place. And so Jesus comes and in the midst of all of these varied truth claims says, okay, here's a question. Who do men say that I am? So he's asking kind of a general question to the disciples. Take the pulse. And, and this is a question that we have to be aware of in our world today where there are all these varied truth claims that are around us as well. And so the question is not to debate or argue against false claims, but rather point to the one true claim that people need to deal with. So the disciples seem to be pretty much aware of what was going on. They had their finger on the pulse. They said, yeah, there's a lot of talk out there, Jesus. Uh, there are some people who say that you're, um, you know, that you're Jeremiah. Others say that you're John the Baptist. Or, uh, there's a lot of opinions about, there, uh, about this out there, and that's true today, isn't it? People have lots of different opinions about who Jesus is. And so then the question comes down from there. He says, okay, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? Now, people like to have their opinions solicited. And so in this question, 
we found a way of reaching out with the gospel that is really powerful and it helps especially for new believers who aren't used to sharing their faith we call it the proposal statement and so if you were to go and to stand out on a street corner on a college campus and someone was walking by here's what you would say you'd say hey, excuse me can I ask you a question if they're willing to stop they'll say yes who do you think Jesus is and you'll get any kind of different answers for example especially from Jewish people some might say that he was a good man but for Jewish people they mean he's just a good man now we believe that Jesus is a good man right but he's more than that and some might say and this is a very common opinion in the Jewish community well Jesus was a, was a, a good teacher I like to say oh really have you ever read what he taught <laughs> most haven't right but what they're saying is, he, well, he's just a good teacher. We can say he's a good teacher, but he's more than that, right? Now, a lot of people today say, really, what difference does it make, you know? This guy 2,000 years ago, some Jewish guy in the Middle East, what, what relevance is it to me? I don't care. And yet I believe that this question is the most important question for people to consider. And so when we, when we have this uh, opportunity to engage people, and we can agree with their statement, yes, he's a good man, but he's much more than that. You see, the Bible says that he's the son of God, that he came to die for your sins and mine, but incredibly, he rose again from the dead. Do you believe that? And that's the very beginning of what we call our proposal statement. It's the way that we teach people to engage with individuals about this most important question. I encourage you to try that and see what God can do. Because if you'll notice in the text, when Peter answers, he says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus doesn't say, fantastic, Peter, you figured it out. You're so smart. How did you get so far ahead of all these other people? No, he doesn't say that. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Joan, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So whenever we have the privilege of asking this question, it's not up to us to be able to persuade, convince. It's the work of the Holy Spirit, always has been. So that's why it's such a wonderful question to be able to ask. And I remember once I was training uh, a new missionary about this very proposal statement in the Bay Area. And uh, so I said, okay, you're going to try it now. I'll take you out to Union Square. And I said, pick somebody out of the crowd. He did. He picked up uh, somebody who was like, you know, one of these leftovers from the 60s, right? He, long hair, you know, jeans, skinny jeans, cowboy boots, uh, this brown jacket with the long fringes on it, white cowboy hat, you know, it was great. And he goes up to him and he says, excuse me, can I ask you a question? Sure, man. Okay, well, who do you think Jesus is? Jesus, man? Jesus was a cosmic cowboy from outer space. <laughs> and my friend said, that's true. Jesus was a cosmic cowboy from outer space, but he's much more than that. I had to do a little bit more training, as you can see. But it's a wonderful tool to be able to bring people back to this very important question. And sometimes you don't get an answer. Sometimes you get a confrontation. I remember once I, I was doing this in Israel, and uh, a religious man came up to me, and he's, uh, I said, can I ask you a question? Yes. Who do you think Jesus is? And his answer was, you're a false prophet, and you're leading Israel astray. And I'm going to pray a curse on you. And you can pray a curse on me, and we'll see whose prayer is more powerful. Not exactly what they teach you about in Bible college, right? 
But what the Bible does say is that God gives us the words to say when we need them. And I found myself saying to this man, Sir, you can pray a curse on me, but I'm going to pray a blessing on you that you come to know your Messiah. <laughs> and of course, I remembered later on, that's exactly what the scriptures teach. When your enemy curses, bless and curse not. But anyway, he began to pray this curse in Hebrew right there on the street corner on Dizengoff Street in downtown Tel Aviv. And uh, I began to pray in English. And I can assure you the first thing I prayed for was protection from his curse. <laughs> but then I did pray as I'd promised that God would bless him with the knowledge of his Messiah. And he finished and left and I eventually forgot about it. And a few days later there were several, a number of us, in fact two van loads full of our Jews for Jesus staff and volunteers all with our t-shirts on. We were going to do some beach evangelism and there's a beautiful white sand beach in downtown Tel Aviv and so we pulled in two vans loads of us in, into the parking lot right across the street from this beach and we pulled in on either side of this little subcompact car and we got out we were all milling around and I just happened to look in the windshield of the little car and there staring out at me eyes as big as saucers was this guy who prayed the curse on me two days before and I looked at him and he looked at me and I think he thought we had tracked him down or something because <laughs> that car door flew open and he literally ran out of that parking lot like he was being haunted, which he was by the Holy Ghost, right? <laughs> and I'll tell you what, I haven't seen that man, but I continue to pray for him because I don't doubt for one minute that that was a divine appointment that God was answering my prayers and giving this man an opportunity to consider this most important question again. Who is Jesus? And I want to tell you, this answer that Peter gave is so significant and yet the full weight of it is sometimes lost on us. Back in the 60s and 70s, there was a wonderful man of God, a great black preacher named Tom Skinner. Some of you might remember him. And he used to, he used to say, he'd come up to the pulpit and he'd say, Christ is the answer. And people would say, Amen. He'd come back and say, I said, Christ is the answer. A few more people say, Amen. And then he'd come back and he'd pound the pulpit and he'd say, I said, Christ is the answer. And we'd go, Yeah! Then he'd go, well, what's the question? <laughs> he even wrote a book called, If Christ is the Answer, What's the Question? It's a good book. But I want us to think about that because we say Christ, and for many Jewish people, Christ is Jesus' last name, you know? Like, I'm David Brickner, he's Jesus Christ. But we know that Christ is a title that means so much. Christos, Mashiach, Messiah. This is the one who Israel had been waiting for. This is the promised one who our hopes and dreams were set on. And here the Jewish people under the thumb of Roman domination, Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi. And Peter said, you're the one. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're the hope of all of the nations. You're the one we've been waiting for. There's so much in that. And it's so relevant today. For people who say, I don't care. We need to let them know Jesus is the answer. Peter, when he said, you're the Messiah, certainly would have understood that meant that he, he's the Prince of Peace. Isaiah promised, for to us, a child is born. 
To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And yet look around us. The Middle East is in flames. What does this mean to Israel that's living under the existential threat of a nuclear attack someday soon from the likes of Ahmadinejad and Iran? How is he the Prince of Peace? What does that word mean, shalom? Is it the absence of strife? Is it the protection from the fear of attack? No. Shalom is that full-orbed presence of God that begins in the heart and is not forced from outside. Peace comes when we turn our lives over to God and then we don't fear the outward circumstances. Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. The peace that God promises is like what Jesus said when he spoke to the wind and the waves. He said, shalom. He said, peace be still. And they obeyed. And Jesus is still speaking peace to the storms of the human heart today. And we're living in a time where people are worried about the future. They're worried about the economy. They're worried about what's happening around them. And he's the Prince of Peace. He's the answer. Despite the circumstances of our lives, when we believe and receive, we receive that peace that passes all understanding. He's the Prince of Peace. Peter soon would have understood that when he was saying, you're the Messiah, that he was also speaking of the fact that he was and would become the pierced one. For all time and eternity, the Messiah was to be the pierced one. And what a, a, an unusual confluence of circumstance to bring that about. It seems past human reckoning that this prince would be pierced. And yet that's what the prophet spoke of as well, the same prophet. I have the joy so often of reading Isaiah 53 to Jewish people. If you've never read that chapter, it's a supernatural chapter. Of course, all the Bible is, but this is an amazing chapter. Read it. You'll see. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Who is the he? Me who? Who is he? I'll read that chapter, but I won't tell someone who, where it comes from. I'll say, listen to what this passage says, and you tell me who you think it's talking about. And so many times Jewish people will say, well, that's Jesus, but you're reading from the New Testament. Ah, no, you see, that was written by a good Jewish boy named Isaiah who wrote 700 years before Jesus ever came. So you see, it's right there. He's the pierced one because he was pierced, because he shed his blood. He paid the penalty for your sin and mine. That's what the Messiah was to do, the Lamb of God. Like the Passover lamb who takes away the sin of the world. That's what Messiah was to be. That's who Jesus is. And what relevance is that today? So great in every way. Because he experienced that pain for us. I don't think there's anybody in this room whose life has not been touched, seriously marred by pain. Whatever way. A loss of a loved one. Illness. 
psychological pain. There's deep pain that we experience as human beings in this world. And people want to know, where do I go with my pain? There's one person you can go to because he's gone there before. And by his piercings, we're healed. It doesn't mean necessarily that we're going to be delivered from the pain that is so much a part of the world that we live in, but it means that we can have the comfort of his grace in the midst of our struggle. And more than that, our pain takes on even greater meaning when it's grounded in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. He bore our pains on that tree. And we can embrace the pain that comes to us in the love of God because we know the pierced one. That's who he is. Praise his name. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, glory to God. And Peter would have known that he didn't just stay dead. And he was one of those early witnesses who saw the empty tomb. Peter, when he said, you're the Messiah, said, you're the risen one. You're the one who conquered death as David predicted in Psalm 16, verse 10. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. And the rabbis see this messianic prophecy and they say, well, David's talking about himself. Oh, really? You mean David didn't die? He sure did. In fact, this is so significant that Peter the apostle on the day of Pentecost went to this very text to demonstrate the power of the resurrection. And, you know, by the way, and according to Jewish tradition, the day of Pentecost, that feast, is not only the birthday of King David, but also the day that he died in history. And so Peter, knowing this and being full of the Holy Spirit, said, Jesus rose from the dead. <laughs> Those rumors that you've heard are true. And this was predicted by David who said, you will not allow me to see decay. But guess what? Look over there, right outside these walls. There's the tomb. David's buried in there. His bones are there. But Jesus rose from the grave. The tomb is empty. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And because he rose, because he rose from the grave, that same resurrection power is available to be applied to the lives of all those who trust in him. Oh, praise his name. Now, what does that mean for us in the 21st century? Well, Jesus conquered death, so we have no need to fear it. We live in a world that is surrounded with death, and yet strangely, people try every which way to anesthetize themselves from that grim reality. I saw this clearly once when I was on a flight from London back here to San Francisco. And uh, there was a man and his wife in the seat behind me, and he started having trouble breathing. And they called a flight attendant over, and she was able to get uh, some uh, an oxygen canister, and he started breathing through his mask, but it didn't seem to help. And so... They called for a doctor. Is there a doctor on the plane? And there was. And he came forward along with several nurses, and they started trying to help this man. And in fact, there was so much commotion, I had to actually get up from my seat, and I went and stood over at the bulkhead and was praying for them. But then the captain came on, and he said, everybody needs to take their seat and buckle up their seatbelt because we have to make an emergency medical landing in Calgary. 
And of course, I knew what that medical emergency was, and I went and sat back down, but we never landed in Calgary. And I can still, in my mind, hear the sound of that strange sound when air is being forced out of a man's chest. The doctor making these compressions, trying to save him. And, and, the, and the sound of that poor woman as she wailed to, as her husband slipped away. And, you know, the flight attendants, they're trained to deal with these things. They do happen. So they graciously took this poor woman to another cabin. They pulled the blanket up over the man. And we were all in shock in that cabin. And then all of a sudden the lights come on. And the flight attendants start coming through the aisles with the carts serving lunch. I'm thinking, lunch? How can anybody eat after what we've just witnessed? And yet that's exactly what happened. And for me, that flight is a metaphor of this world. Hurtling through time and space, death facing that grim reality staring us in the face, and yet all of us trying desperately to ignore and yet we don't need to ignore. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The fact that Jesus rose from the grave can help us to conquer the fear of death, give us confidence to proclaim the power of the resurrection. People's lives can be changed because he is the risen Messiah. Praise his name. <laughs> Hallelujah. And he's so many more things, but I'll mention one more. And that is that he's the king of glory. He's the king of glory. A day is coming very soon where the clouds will be rolled back as a scroll and the brightnesses of a thousand noonday suns will fill the sky and there's the king. Oh, come Lord Jesus. But I'll tell you what, what do we think about regarding kings here? <laughs> you know, David David was the first one to ask this question. Me who melechakavod? Who is this king of glory? He's the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. So the king is actually God himself, Jehovah, the covenant name of God. That's who he is. God come in the flesh. Now, when we think about kings here in America, usually it's, you know, somebody getting married in Westminster Chapel, right, or something like that. We don't pay attention because we live in a democracy. And how's that working out for us? <laughs> oh, we've got a vote coming up, right? <laughs> okay, so what is this all about for a person in the 21st century who lives in a democracy? Well, it speaks to the very need of the human heart for authentic leadership. Leadership that doesn't disappoint Leadership that makes promises and is able, able to keep each and every one of them. And there's only one who can do that. <laughs> who is he? He's Jesus. He's the king of glory. Praise his name. So no matter what our government is or will be, those who really know the king are looking for that benevolent dictatorship. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And that is our hope. He is the King of glory. And I want to encourage you to believe with me that in our country, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our places of work, Christ is the answer. 
He's the one who can meet the very deepest needs of every human heart. And when we ask this question, who is he? And people really engage, the answer comes. I want to invite you to close your eyes now for a time of prayer. If you're here, I want to ask you, what do you say about this? If you've never embraced Jesus as your Messiah, oh, he's the answer to every need that you could ever imagine if you just say yes to him. Maybe you are his follower. I know most here are. But there's someone in your life that you know needs to have this question answered for them. And I want you, my brother, my sister, to intercede right now for that person that God brought to your mind right now. Lord, I pray that you would be with us in this moment. And for any who might be here right now who, are, who have yet to, to say, as Peter did, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Would you by your spirit persuade and give courage that they might know you, that they might say yes to you even now? Just say those words, yes, Jesus, you're my Messiah. And God will change your life forever. And Lord, we pray for those people whom you brought to mind moments ago. Oh God, would you save them? And Lord, would you give us the courage and the opportunity to ask this question of them as well? To engage this most important question in life with those that we know and love who need to answer it for themselves. And may we hear the words of our Messiah, blessed are you, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but the Father who is in heaven. Amen. God bless you.